from St. Matthew's Gospel, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So I had shoulder surgery last Thursday, as Father Gerter pointed out in Mass last week. Uh, thank you all for your prayers. And while uh, shoulder surgery is never fun, I did get to watch the Rose Bowl and watch Penn State beat the Utes. Woo! And I even got, when I got back, a gift from Art and Adele Andrews. You guys here? A beer koozie that says Rose Bowl game on it. So could, could have been worse. Uh, but also, you know, I had an opportunity last week as I'm laying in bed feeling sorry for myself. Um, to read some books, and I came across a book I'd put aside a while ago, and I picked it back up again, called The War on the West by a guy named Douglas Murray. Anybody read that book? It's a good book. It's a fascinating book, and, it, and it, he looks at how our culture is imploding, literally, destroying itself intentionally with critical race theory and attacks on Christianity, and essentially our culture going after all of the pillars of Western thought and practice. I was reading in the book how somewhere they tore down a statue of Abraham Lincoln, of all people, as a racist. Well, okay, fine. But it got me thinking. It got me really thinking about something important. How did we get here? <laughs> how did we get from where we were to where we are now? And a, and a bigger question, really, which I'm going to talk about today, is how do you go about changing a person's thinking? How do, you, how do you go about doing that? I mean, in this case, it'd be a negative, right, in my estimation, from where we were to where we are now, but even on the individual level, how do you change a person's thought process? How do you change how a person sees the world around them? The Bible has a word for this. Well, the word for it is called epistemology, which is a fancy way of saying, well, how do you know what's true? And how do you know what's false? Epistemology is the study of knowledge, which sounds awfully boring. It's fascinating. And really the question is, how do you know what's true? So we're going to talk about that today. How do you find truth? As an individual, as a, as a nation, certainly. As a species, maybe even. Won't get that far. But really, how do we find truth as individual people? How do you, the person sitting in your pew, how do you know what's true and what isn't? And so the story, as that question today, this idea of truth, what is truth? To quote Pilate, right, when he interviews our Lord, we're going to look at this idea of truth changing people's lives in the story of these wise men from the East. I'll get to that in a second. And then we're going to, and today we're not going to talk about camels and turbans and belly dancers. I told you I'll talk about belly dancers today. <laughs> Inside joke, sorry. We're going to put all that stuff aside, all of the uh, epiphany, you know, play stuff, and we're going to look at something deeper, look more important, more profound, how truth claims work and how they change lives then and now. So two things I want to look at from our story today that applies to you and to me. The first thing is I want to look at the God who meets us where we are, a God who meets us where we are and the transformative power of truth. A God who meets us where we are, point one. And then second point, the transforming power of truth. First thing is the God who meets us where we are. So 
we're in, we're in Matthew's gospel, and we're looking at this period of time after Jesus' birth when these wise men from the east arrive. We call them magi, but it's actually, it's a Greek word, majoi, and they're actually, they're actually kind of mysterious people. They, uh, we don't know much about them. They're not Jewish. We do know that. They're from Iran or Iraq, probably. And despite the hymn, they're not kings, we three kings of Orient are. They're not kings, and they're also not from the Orient. So, sorry to burst your bubble. But what these magi are, and this makes a lot more sense, is they're actually like uh, a king's parliament. They're royal advisors. The magi, and, and we don't know how many there were. Could have been three, could have been ten. We don't know. Whatever it was, it's a big entourage with an army and a lot of money. You need security to, tra to travel with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, after all. And so what you see are these people coming from Iran or Iraq who are smart, well-educated, influential, connected. They were, the, uh, they were the cultural elites of the first century. And I don't mean that pejoratively. They're just the people that, they are the people that other people looked to to help them discover truth. And so these magi, they are going to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Well, for two reasons. There's a star in the sky that's moving erratically, and the magi, like lots of people in the, in the time, except for the Jews, lots of other cultures believed in astronomy, right? There, or astrology, whatever it is, there, where that stars in the sky would move on their own accord, and they would, be, they would show signs of where things were happening. But what we see here, and this is critically important, critically important, the Magi are trained to see these patterns in the sky, right? But what we realize is, see, God actually uses those patterns in the sky to change them. Listen to that again. The Bible says that God uses these signs, these stars, to change these men, who are not Jewish, by the way. In other words, God, the Jewish God, the God of the Bible, the Christian God, Jesus, piques their curiosity with a star that was behaving erratically. He piques their curiosity with something that they couldn't explain. Has that ever happened to you? If something, something ever happened to you that you couldn't explain, or that you were confronted with a fact which, which you just, your worldview, your own little set of beliefs and understandings couldn't handle, it shatters the way you see the world? Has that ever happened to you? I hope so. Has God ever given you a star that startled you and you knew that you had to investigate it and that life would never be the same afterwards? Truth be told, if there was a star in the sky shooting by, I wouldn't notice it and I wouldn't care. You know why? I could care less about stars. Amen? I could care less. I don't care about stars and I wouldn't notice it anyway. But that's the point. God meets us where we are. These guys were astronomers. These guys saw what I would be completely blind. I am, however, personally, I'm a left-brained guy. I, you may not know this about me if you're new. Uh, I, was, I was a systems engineer for Siemens and a couple other big companies. Before, before I went to seminary, I ran an IT department. I was an IT director. Um, I like facts. I like evidence. I like numbers. I like, give me the, give me the dirt, right? That's the way my brain works. That is who I am. I like evidence. I'm a show-me kind of guy and a bit of a skeptic, truth be told. But here's a star that God gave me. If you don't know this already, most of you do, 
uh, I went to graduate school to North Carolina State University on a free ride to get a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology, which is an awesome field, by the way. It was a free ride. I went there because I had nothing else to do. <laughs> I'm kidding.、Uh, but I went to grad school fully convinced I was going to go get a PhD and go work for Ernst and Young or somebody as a as a、uh, as a consultant and make tons of money. And so I went to North Carolina for my PhD, and for the first time in my life, well, two things happened, two stars. For the first time in my life, until I'd been, I was 23, 22. For the first time in my life, I was alone. I'd always had a huge social network. I'd always had people. I mean, Penn State, where I went for undergrad, was a smorgasbord of of social activities. Right? I went to went to North Carolina. I didn't know a soul. So I was forced. I now know by God to think deeply. But the real shooting star for me that God placed in my life in graduate school is that as part of my enrollment, I taught statistics, and this is very sexy. I taught statistics and scientific research methodology. I taught it to undergrads. Some of them were older than I was, frankly. And I'm teaching statistics and scientific research methods, which I loved. And this is what got me. This is what got me. If there are scientific laws, which in fact there are, then there must, by definition, be a lawgiver. It's obvious when you think about it. If there are scientific laws, then there must be, by definition, a lawgiver. Otherwise, went through my mind, it's just randomness, and we human beings are imposing order on what's just random. But that doesn't work. You can't build bridges if things are random. So science, I, I discovered. If, if there is scientific law, there must, by definition, be a lawgiver. And this thing, or someone, I came to think through later, who makes the world run by these laws, and this thing or this being must be sentient, with power, and be knowing, and all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, and actually not itself created. Otherwise, it's in the same stew. You see my point? It occurred to me, oh, those many years ago, that science actually proves that God exists. Technically, science fails to disprove that God exists. That God must be real for science to work, and in fact, that rocked my world. Because up until that point, I could have cared less about God. Didn't need him. No thanks. But God had placed that star, that sign, that. That call, frankly, in my life, statistics and scientific message, methods, to challenge me, to startle me, to rock my world, to knock me off my game. And I came to the conclusion for the first time in my life that God was real. So here's a question for you: What star has God placed in your life to get your attention? Maybe, ironically. It was teaching statistics and scientific research methodology. I don't know. That'd be sort of weird, but could be. Maybe the star that God placed in your life was the breakup of a marriage, or the death of someone you loved, where the old working assumptions no longer no longer held together. Maybe it's the health issue of someone that you love that rocks you to the core. Maybe you're a caregiver and you're now experiencing a future which you never thought you would have to work through or live through. Maybe it's the birth of a child. It, it could be actually anything, and that's kind of the point. It's specific to you and your life and your circumstances and who you are. 
And let me challenge you, these stars, these signs are sent by God to get your attention, just like it did these wise men from the east. And they followed this star because God met them. Listen, God met them where they were. Y'all are looking for a star? Sure, I'll give you a star, said the Almighty. And the wise men responded. They struggled, they wrestled with what it meant. No one, they didn't know where they were going or how they were going to get there. They didn't even know what they were looking for. A king of some variety, but they did it. The thing I want you to understand here, which is so important, I never really thought about it before, is that God met them where they were. He used these signs in the sky to draw him, them to him, and he will meet you where you are to draw you to him. So here's the question this morning. It's a, it's a real honest question. How and where has God met you? What are the stars he's placed in your life to draw you to him? So these men, these wise men, they go to Herod, the king in Jerusalem, where the king's palace is, and they say, hey, we hear there's this new king born. And Herod, who's the king, says, uh, what king? <laughs> There's no king here, just me. Well, no, there's another king, and he doesn't know what they're talking about, so he has to go to his Jewish friend and say, where's this new king to be born? And they say, oh, in Bethlehem. And so the wise men leave for Bethlehem, and it leads me to my second point. The star leads them, and my point number two is the transformative power, listen, of truth. Matthew says in verse 11, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy, right? Woo, they're so excited because these men, after all, what are they really after? What are you, what is every human being really after? Truth. What's real? What's the purpose? What's the point? And going into the house, verse 11, they, these three, or these wise men, the whole entourage, I mean, imagine, here you're Mary, you know, watching Jeopardy, nursing a baby, and these three guys, these people walk into your house with all these camels and whatever in the, out in the front yard. And, and they walk, they don't, even, they don't even say hello. They just walk right in, I guess. And it says here, they going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and listen to what they do. They fell down and they worship him. Think about that. These are the most powerful men in the ancient Near East. And when they meet him, all they can do is fall down and worship. Someone said earlier today in, in the rector's forum, well, what did, what did Jesus do to get them to do that? And I said, he's a baby. He didn't do anything. That's the point, you see? That these men, we, they had discovered what these wise men discovered, what wise people always discover, is that truth is not a claim. Truth is not a piece of information. Am I wearing black shoes right now? Yes, I am. Is that true? Sure, it's true. That's not ultimate truth. Ultimate truth, this is a weird thing for Western people to think through, but ultimate truth is not a fact. Truth is not a claim. Truth is not a piece of information. Truth, according to Scripture, is a person, and his name is Jesus. In fact, Jesus says this very thing. Not now, because he's only a baby. He can't talk yet. But later on, when he's an adult, Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, you see. See, for hands, here's what I want you to see here. The truth is not an idea or a concept or a worldview. The truth isn't capitalism or socialism. 
the Green New Deal, or whatever, fill in the blank. Because the truth isn't an it. The truth is a he. And his name is Jesus. And if that's true, then what he tells us is true. And all the things that concern us in this life can be found by looking not for a solution in the power structures of this world, but in the Christ, the truth, who is the way and the life. These most powerful men in the ancient Near East, they meet Jesus, they drop everything, they worship him, and what do they do? They offer him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for a king, frankincense for worship, myrrh for his burial. I'll, I'll preach that next year. But I want you to think about something important. What is the first thing that they do? They don't even introduce themselves. What is the first thing that these wise men do? The first thing they do is they give. And you know, the first thing we all do is we give to those we love. Christmas was two weeks ago, right? Roughly. And that's kind of weird. I was sitting there. Every year I kind of think through this. When I was a little boy, you know, Christmas was all about, whoa, you know, push my, my brother out of the way, dive into the presents so I could get to what I wanted. You know, that kind of thing. Get out of the way, kid, or else I'm going to roll over you. But, but as, a, as a dad and as a husband, frankly, I'm, much, I've, I'm happier giving gifts than actually receiving them. Is that true for you? That I actually, I love to give gifts to my wife. I love to give gifts to my kids. I prefer to give gifts than actually receive them, frankly. And that's because we give to what we love. We give to what we love. More about that next week. But let's come back to the point as I wrap up. I started off a minute ago talking about this book that I'm reading, The War on the West. And it's not a very, it's not a very, uh, it's an encouraging book if you understand what we're facing. And you know what, I, and you know, the book is, well, not, I wouldn't say it's an alarmist book, but it's true. At least it lays out truthful things. But as I'm reading this book and I'm reading about the decline of Western civilization, you know what? I don't really care. I'm not worried. Because you know what? There will be suffering, absolutely. The church will be persecuted, absolutely it will. Part of the reason the church is declining is because we're having it, we've had it too easy for too long. My dad used to say to me, buckle up, buttercup, and this is what he means. Things are going to get rough. But here's the thing I rest in, is that the truth, truth always points to Jesus. All truth points to Jesus, then and now. They may not know it. They may, people may recoil at the very idea of Jesus being the truth, the Son of God. But if he is the truth, and he is, then he wins, and so do we. It's an old bumper sticker I remember seeing years ago. I had no idea what it meant, but I do now. An old bumper sticker that used to say, wise men still seek him. You ever seen that? I love that. Wise men still seek him. That's true, actually. Wise men and wise women. Wisdom means the ability to discern truth. Wise women and wise men still seek him because when we can put down TikTok and follow the stars that God places in our lives with our hearts open to the truth that we all seek. These people, like the person sitting in your chair, will change the world through him. Because fundamentally, friends, the war on the West is fought not with ideas, but with truth. And the truth is, the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these, the ministry of these wise men, Help us to see the signs you place in our lives that grab our attention, 
that shake us around that give, and give us the courage to follow the things you place in our lives. Give us the joy of meeting Jesus face to face and see the truth that he brings to all things. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.